0: I'm Marianne Colbisuck McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Adrian Mayers, who is CISO of Primera Blue Cross. So, Adrian, I understand you're a contributor to a recent report issued by security vendor Coal Fire's Cloud Advisory Board that provides best practices for secure cloud application development and management. So with that said, what are some of the top challenges that you see in the healthcare sector when it comes to the cloud, DevSecOps, and secure application development and management?
1: When it comes to healthcare specifically, one of the key things is about recognizing the need to move to a DevSecOps model in the first place. The threat landscape is constantly evolving. You know, we've heard a lot about ransomware this year. We're probably going to hear more about it in 2022 going forward. The OWASP top 10, so that the top threats that applications that are, you know, facing the internet are dealing with, those are constantly evolving and constantly being being exploited. So the need is, is absolutely there. And it's about recognizing that there is a need and, and starting to move into that. So once you decide that, okay, you know, DevSecOps is for us, what do we do next, right? Where do you start? So there's things that you need to consider. One of the things I like to tell people is don't start with the tooling and all of the technology and the gadgetry that will come super important because you need it. But but don't start there. You have to think about strategy, goals, milestones. What are you trying to accomplish? What's that shared community thing that you're looking to accomplish as an organization? And then you're you're able to, to, to start moving forward on that path. And the last thing I would say is around once you do get it up and running that DevSecOps model, it's about maintaining that execution discipline. So segregation of duties, quality control, incremental improvement, those are the things that matter and, and keep this thing with that staying power. It's a, it's a very powerful model when, when done correctly, but it also takes a significant amount of effort to, to keep it where it needs to be.
0: So, Adrian, you mentioned staying power, and as we know, healthcare sector entities rely a lot on legacy systems and devices, many that have outdated operating systems and other software that is no longer supported by the vendors. How can these entities apply a DevSecOps approach in terms of developing and melding new applications while reducing the risk posed by these older systems?
1: Legacy systems are a problem, right, but also required. So when I think about the, the SecOps model, I think about how it forces you know, the entity, the organization to break down the problem into segments so that they can address them systematically. And then what you wanna think about is like, okay, if I can't get rid of a legacy system, then what can I do? The ability then you know, has to swing towards compensating controls and capabilities. How do I start to layer prevention, detection, remediation controls around those legacy systems if I'm not able to to replace them or I there's no longer a patch available for you know a piece of medical device equipment I need to figure out another way to start layering in some some protection around this this element this system and then and the last thing i would say about that really is is be brilliant at the basics so asset management vulnerability management threat modeling life cycle management these are the things that seem easy to do. They're hard to do, you know, consistently. But once you start getting the basics right, other things come a lot easier. But legacy systems aren't going to go away anytime soon. And you need to figure out a way to to be creative and start layering protection around them.
0: What are some of your other top tips for creating a risk-based product development life cycle?
1: The key word in, you know, in that question is risk-based, right? So, this is all about risk management. you know, i alluded to it a little bit in the last question but establishing shared outcomes and gain that buy-in from top management. this is not something that can be done in isolation. you need senior management to to lean in and to understand what you're trying to accomplish. and then there's a little bit of a trickle down theory there. the other piece is around, you know, accepting that iteration is okay. you're not going to be ready out of the box. as soon as you, you know, leave the gate you're not going to be ready, right? so You'll get better over time, but you have to keep iterating and building on your your capability and your capacity. You also want to refine your processes before you identify the tooling. I said again, don't start with tooling. Understand what are the what are the processes and workflows that you need to in, enrich and augment and potentially automate, but really define those. Is this working the way that we're doing things today? Does this make sense? You know, should things be going to this team before it goes to this team? or to this environment before it goes to that environment. Just start to, you know, kind of tease out those things. Validate that those processes and workflows really do make sense. Again, not super sexy, but document your policies, procedures, standards, right? Train, then assess what you're doing to make sure that you're, you're still meeting those guidelines that you establish when you, when you first start this risk-based product development lifecycle. And the last thing really is around having fun along the journey. And people will be like, what what does he mean by that? You're dealing with human behavior and a human behavior change at the the end of the day. So everything that's documented, the tooling, the technology, all of that is about facilitating a behavior change for those teams. So this can be super fun and actually reduce a lot of stress if done correctly. So have fun along
0: the way. Are there certain mistakes that you see entities make in terms of Taking a risk-based approach to product development, mistakes that are made along the way, or things that are overlooked that can end up being a security issue? I think
1: one of the things is trying to go too fast too soon and not really understanding the, the risk appetite and the risk tolerance of the organization. The other thing is trying to do things in isolation. You know, it's, it's going to take a village, right? It's going to take a coalition to be able to, to make this happen. You want to be able to communicate effectively. So I think those are some of the pitfalls that I think people kind of fall into is that it's, it's a flip of a switch, or if I get a strategic partner to help me, they're going to do all of the heavy lifting. Yeah, not the case. Um, if you do decide that you're going to work with a strategic partner and there's many out there, there's going to be a push and pull. There's going to be some things that you need to bring to the table and they'll bring the rest, but this is not something you can outsource. This is something you're fundamentally changing within your organization. and if you're going to use a strategy partner, you have to actually build a partnership to
0: do. So Adrian, any examples of how you're taking this risk-based product development lifecycle approach in your own organization?
1: What we are doing is, is reestablishing our goals and objectives around the members' experience. Members and customers are at the center of everything that we do. So when we look at it from their perspective, through their lens, and use that as the focal point, then we're able to start building out these programs and specifically this product development lifecycle around that. What kind of application should we be developing? What kind of languages are we gonna be leveraging to be able to do that? What environments are needed to do testing before it gets into what I call prime time or production and then becomes member or customer facing? The other piece is about communicating big ideas with various stakeholders. So be bold, get out there, think about things creatively, but then be effective at your communication, be effective at identifying the channels of communication that you want to do, the key groups that you want to start with. Who's impacted by this directly or indirectly, and start to build a movement around what you're trying to do. I think that's absolutely important and, and something that we're doing. And two other things is about establishing our risk appetite and tolerance, and making sure that we understand what risk are we willing to work with. How do we define that? What's too much, and set that bright line and don't cross it. And the last thing is really about building, you know, external strategic partnerships. You know, we do a lot of a lot of work with Microsoft and others to build that out. This is not a journey that you have to go alone, but you do want to make sure that you find the right partners to help you through that journey. So those are some of the things that we're doing here at Premier Blue Cross.
0: And finally, looking ahead to 2022, what are some of the top cybersecurity priorities and projects that you'll be focusing on?
1: There's many things I'd love to focus on a bunch of things, but I think there is a discipline required around what are you going to focus on right there's there's limited resources capability capacity so you need to focus on what i like to call you know the big rocks so in 2022 we're going to be focusing on our people we're going to be upskilling to match the pace of that evolving threat landscape we want to make sure that we are on par with the experience and the the, the skills of those threat actors because they're ultimately leveraging the same technology for the most part as we are so what is the differentiator at that point, right? Well, our people need to be better than them. And that's where we want to make sure that we're focusing on giving all of the skills and training that's required to, to make sure that our people are, are ready for the fight, because it's not going away. This fight is going to be around for, for a very long time. Last two things are around continuing our, our DevSecOps journey in the cloud. So this is where Microsoft comes in and other strategic partners to, to move us you know, to the cloud in a meaningful way when it comes to DevSecOps. And then it's about building additional zero-trust capabilities. I know that, you know, that term is thrown around now a lot, but, but <laughs> there is something to it. Zero-trust is about capabilities, but it's also about workflows and ways of working. So we're continuing to build and we're on that zero-trust journey. So we're continuing to build, you know, capability and processes around that while still thinking about the end user and the end user impact. So as long as we are, are focusing on, you know, on those three things, I think we're going to be in, you know, in a good good state of affairs going into 22, and then we'll continue to evolve and set another kind of top three priorities going into 2023.
0: Well, thank you very much, Adrian. I've been speaking to Adrian Mayers. I'm Marianne Kolbasak bagie of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for joining us.